don't know about you all, but in the next song, I'm standing up. I'm going to stand up and let the spirit move me. That thing that's moving in your body when you feel it, stand up in the next song. Don't stay seated. That's what I'm going to do. For every mountain we have been brought over, for a church where we discovered we could bring our whole tender selves, for acts of kindness, great or small, that can change the course of one or many lives in unimaginable ways, for the power of music that enlivens our awareness of divine connections, for every blessing, we sing hallelujah. Today we are hearing all manner of faith statements and we celebrate our coming of age youth. Yes, that tradition of young people grappling, grappling with the big questions of faith and declaring their credos, those beliefs held at the heart of their being and that flow from our Unitarian Universalist theology. The heartbeat of our theology is that the free and responsible search for truth is central to an authentic expression of religion. Religion has got to ring true. That's what we say. The mindset of our theology is that our ability to think, to reflect, to use our intellect and our intuition is essential to what it is to be a human being, a religious human being. Religion has got to wrestle with the big questions. That's what we say. The spirit of our theology is an open mind, an open heart. We recognize the holy diversity of human experience and, religious, and the religious impulse that arises from all these different places from all these different experiences of the world. We are all trying to name the unnameable. Religion has got to live with an open heart and an open mind. That's what we say. Over the course of five months, I have had the incredible privilege and honor of walking with and ministering to our coming of age class. We've talked about big questions, one-on-one, -on -one, in circles of worship, after a day of service, and while frying up veggie sausage on Sunday mornings. Mentors have devoted time and love to these youth, whether waiting for them as they, look, as they took their solo nature vigil or sitting at a diner talking about God. From the first gathering, I fell in love with each and every one of them, truly. And I'm still in love with them, even if they made me stay up till 3 a.m. a couple of Saturdays ago. That was really hard, you guys, really hard. I mean, in my singing days, I could stay up till maybe 4 in the morning. I could really put you all to shame, but not anymore. That was costly, costly, but I still love you. Almost every one of our youth spoke about music or plays music over the course of our time together, and they composed raps, they played jazz, or waxed eloquently about headphones. So music is like a tethering 
force to what is good and right about this world. And so today, in honor of our youth who bravely declared their credos yesterday, I want to tell a story about some teenagers. I want to tell a story about some teenagers who wrestled with the big questions, who put their beliefs and their bodies on the line and helped to shape the trajectory of American-made music forever. Their work is part of the reason we sing the blues. Their work is part of the reason we rock out. Their work is part of the reason we freestyle. Their work is part of the reason we lift our voices in gospel. In essence, these teenagers declared their credo in song. They shared their truth, their intellect, and their open hearts with the world, and they changed it. They changed the world for the better. I'm talking about the Fisk Jubilee Singers. Now, I would bet that most of you have never heard of these folks. And that's a shame. But as we are learning in our racial justice work, American history is often taught with a white bias to privilege a white narrative and robbing us all of the rich and complex tapestry of stories that could truly move us in new and more just directions. The Fisk Jubilee Singers are the reasons we know and we sing African-American spirituals. And spirituals are the taproot of every form of American pop music we listen to or sing today. Spirituals were the songs that fueled the civil rights movement and the songs we sing nearly every Sunday. These teenagers helped to shape most of the music we sing today, and let me tell you how. The Jubilee Singers started out as a group of nine African-American teenagers and young adults. They ranged in ages from 15 to 25, and they had come to study at Fisk University soon after the Civil War. All of them wanted to avail themselves of a new life and a new way of being in the world. Eight of the nine singers were former slaves or descendants of slaves. And Fisk was a place established by northern white abolitionists to bring a formal education to the newly emancipated Americans and to help them get a leg up in society. It was a different kind of place for everyone, white or black. People who had lived in a social framework of free and slave, white and black, free to move from place to place and bound to place, beaten and sold, intentionally educated and intentionally uneducated, were now finding themselves together in a boarding school, an old abandoned army barracks in Nashville. It was a different kind of school, there was like a family-like atmosphere with white teachers living and working with African-American students because no one in Nashville would rent rooms to any of them, black or white. So you have people living and learning together in new ways. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that this was utopia 
or that racist systems weren't alive and well at Fisk University, they were. But there is a different kind of social ecosystem that is emerging, and the opportunities and or crisis are providing a rich soil for collaboration, if you will grace-filled moments of imagining something different. So one of these incredible collaborations happens between a white music director, George White, and Ella Shepard, a 17-year-old African-American freed woman who came to Fisk to study to be a music teacher. And almost immediately, he recognized in Shepard someone who had as much passion for music as he did. He made her an assistant director of the choir and the first African-American instructor at the school at age 17. Fisk, like so many other schools dedicated to educating the newly emancipated African-Americans, was on the verge of financial collapse. Teachers were not being paid. The wind would whistle through the holes in the wall. The blankets were threadbare, and there wasn't enough to eat. So White gets this idea to take his choir on tour to earn money for the school. No one from the missionary organizations, white churches, or universities would support his plan. But George and Ella are convinced that this nine-member choir of African-American students could not only earn money to save their beloved school, but its important work, and its important work, but they would show the world what education could do for all people. At first, the tour went poorly. The choir sang classical European music at white churches and concert halls in towns along the Underground Railroad and would end each night with a spiritual as an encore. The audience attendance was paltry, and the fundraising was worse. White and the singers kept a grueling schedule, singing every night and then moving on to the next town in the morning. They didn't have proper clothing as the cold came on, and they stayed at a different rat-infested flop house nearly every night because that's the only place that would have them. They met with incredible prejudice and threats of physical harm. Still, none of them would turn back. None of them would turn back. All of them felt much like the baritone Benjamin Holmes. He says, we are willing to wait a little longer till the good time coming comes. I feel that our enterprise must be a success, for God is with us and has given us favor. So it is in this bleakest moment, after weeks upon weeks of performing with little rest and dwindling finances, that they hatch a plan, a grace-filled moment of imagining something different. The choir decides to sing the cabin songs, the sacred songs of their parents and their grandparents, and put them front and center in the concert programming. The singers were reluctant to do this at first. The cabin songs were being used in minstrel shows to denigrate and mock 
African-Americans. So White and Shepard collaborate and create a new way of presenting the laments, the psalms, if you will, of the enslaved Americans. Shepard writes, the slave songs were associated with slavery and the dark past and represented the things to be forgotten. They were sacred to our parents. We did not dream of ever using them in public. It was only after many months that gradually our hearts were opened to the wonderful beauty and power of our songs. Shepard worked on the arrangements, drilling the singers, working up new melodies. She taught White her mother's favorite lullaby, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. White and Shepard wanted to hold true to the pure emotion of the songs and steer clear of any hint of caricature. Their first concert with the new repertoire was at a big minister's convention in Oberlin. The choir began with the spiritual steal away. The story goes that a hush fell over the crowd, never having heard such a haunting melody with such rich and intricate harmonies and arrangements. What emerges from this confluence of the African lament combined with singers who had lived and breathed the life of slavery, White and Shepherd's arrangements, and every singer and director hell-bent on saving a school that would save lives is the spirituals we sing today. The Jubilee singers were literally an instant success. They toured the United States. They were brought to England to perform for royalty. They sang throughout the British Isles in Switzerland and Holland. Shepard writes, new life has come into our bodies. We sang as if inspired. We had not only paid the debts at home, we carried home $20,000. Think about that in Civil War time. $20,000 with with which was purchased the site of our new school. We returned to Fisk amid great rejoicing. Most of the spirituals we sing today are the songs the Jubilee singers thought would please a white audience. The spirituals we sing today are the rearrangement of tunes that would set them apart from the minstrel shows. The spirituals we sing today are the ones that began in the intimate setting of slave cabins and rang true in the great halls of England and the Netherlands. I tell this story because there is something to learn from those teenagers so long ago and the teenagers who spoke yesterday. Youth has two sole tasks in my mind, two sole tasks in order to cross the important threshold from adolescent into a grounded and whole adulthood. One task is to try things on, to explore, to dare to imagine yourself in the world. Author and theologian Bill Plotkin says, it's a time to ask what is worth living for? What are the principles I will fight to uphold? What is necessary for a decent life? 
Where do I find the life I feel, I intuit, inside of me, in the world I see and experience outside of me? I think about those young singers coming from all parts of the countryside, overcoming such fear and real danger, and still bound and determined to try on a new kind of life, a new way of being in the world. The Jubilee Singers are a powerful example of youth and the task of the imagination. The second sole task is to go into the deep mystery. It is an inward-facing turn where one begins to ask, what is my purpose? What is my claim of spiritual personhood in this big, terrifying, beautiful thing called life? I hear Ella Shepard's words again. It was only after many months that gradually our hearts were opened to the wonderful beauty and power of our songs. There is something about claiming personhood that threads its way through this entire story. Facing the deep mystery is a time of not just speaking statements of faith, but figuring out how to live statements of faith. It's about saying, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and this is how I will live. Today, I am proud to be a part of a tradition that honors youth and takes them seriously. That says to youth, it's important to ask the big questions, to freely search for truth, to use your intellect and your intuition, to abide with an open heart. May the spirit of the Jubilee singers come alive in us all today, in our imaginations, and the search for our soul life. And may each and all shape the sound of the future for the better. May it be so, and amen.